This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Yo, what's happening? Welcome to All Things Covered with Patrick Peterson and Brian McFadden, part of the CBS Sports Podcast Network. The name says it all. If you like what you hear, please subscribe, download, and make sure you leave us a five-star rating. Five-star rating on all Apple Podcasts. You can also watch us on YouTube. Just visit YouTube.com slash All Things Covered. Pat P, what we going to cover on this episode? Yo, Mac, you know, we got to cover the big win over the Giants over this weekend. Also, our upcoming matchup against the Philadelphia Eagles, who look like they found their starting quarterback in Jalen Hurts. Uh, yes, sir. Plus, we're going to go down memory lane a little bit, talk about our uh, college signing days, and we're going to catch up with our one of our teammates, both of our teammates, Antonio Camardi. Well, listeners and viewers, you know what time it is. First quarter of our show, it's time to chop it up. Pat P and the Arizona Cardinals travel from the West Coast to the East Coast to face the New York Giants. But before we jump into that ball game, plane rides, team plane rides. Listeners and viewers, you know, when you talk about traveling with your team, especially a long trip across the country, there's a lot that could happen. And what we're going to do in this segment of chopping it up, we're going to take bring you guys into our world when we're chartering a plane filled with nothing but people from our organization and we're going to give you guys some cool fun stories about team playing rise and pat p i know you got a big time story for us because you guys just travel across the country to take care of your business against the new york football giants but fill the viewers and listeners in on team playing rise oh man team playing rise are to me is what i look forward to throughout the year when it's time for the season to come back around again. Um, it's honestly, it's nothing like a team playing right because everybody's that's within your organization. So, you know, the plan is technically yours. You know what I mean? So, you know, guys just, you know, up hooping and hollering, you know, watching game film, talking about it, fans. Real quick, Pat P, you said guys are up hooping and hollering, right? Mm-hmm. And tell the listeners and viewers how overrated it is when you're on a plane and they tell you, Sit down, put your seatbelt on because they're getting ready to take off or turn your, put your phones on airplane mode right, right. because you're getting ready to take off. Tell the listeners and viewers how overrated it is because I know when we used to travel on our team, uh, playing in Pittsburgh, that was never told to us, but t- tell the viewers and listeners how overrated that is. Man, that's very overrated, man. Cause none of that stuff matters. They it let you do whatever you want to do. Yeah, you know, as long as we're sitting down, once the, the flight take off and land, you know, we can still be doing whatever we uh whatever we w- uh, wish to do. But going back to this plane ride, I was uh blessed enough to be the DJ on the way back home. So yeah, oh, so y'all had music on the plane? We had the actual ones and twos on the plane. What? <laughs> like a you mean like a turntable? Yeah, yeah, man, that's how we do it. And I already know, you know, you, you in your afterlife, Pat P, people don't know you really love DJ. 
that's that's like yeah. that really gets you going right there when you get right. on the turntable. Man, man, I love that music, man. So you provided the music for the entire plane. Yep. I let what you had, what, what was on the playlist? Oh man, I had a little bit of everything. I had a nineties, nineties vibe going. Had a little R&B going. Then, you know, I had to get into my 20 bangers, my 2020 bangers. Had a little Drake mix going. R.I.P. The, I don't know if I'm pronouncing his name right, but, uh, Mo. Mm-hmm. Mo, I think his name is. The guy who, uh, got killed in, uh, Dallas. Uh, rocking a little bit of his music. Some young Dro. I mean, you know, you know my, hey man, you know my catalog, catalog is crazy. So it's I nice. had it all going. Rose, shout out to Rose. I had some Rose rolling. DJ Khaled. I was ready. I was locked in. Man, now that's the first time I've ever heard basically having a DJ system on the plane and being able to bump the music in route home after a victory. I know that had to have been an outstanding experience. So everybody was jumping. And you know what? Shout out to Coach uh, Cliff Kingsbury allowing you guys to have the leeway to do that. A lot of coaches might not, you know, want the entire plane to hear everything that you guys or a few guys are listening to. So shout out to Coach Cliff. Hey, but, you know, we're blessed enough to have one of them double-decker planes, man. So everybody – Oh, y'all had a double decker. Ooh. We, we always have a double decker. Ooh. Big, dog. big time. That's we lay big all time. The way back, oh, you lay all the way back. Yeah. Yes, sir. Yeah. Yes, sir. <laughs> That's what's up. Y'all, y'all boys big time out there. You feel yes, me? Sir. What about your plane rides, man? I know, I know you got some crazy ones too. Oh, my goodness, man. You already know, Pat P. I can talk about the card games. That, I, uh, that we used to have, especially for us, you know, anytime we would travel from the East Coast to the West Coast, it was a big deal because we didn't have a lot of those trips, uh, primarily right. in one season. I'm going to say the card stories for another episode, but definitely, and then you got some card stories as well, because I'm the one that put you on Blu-ray and we got some Blu-ray stories that we're going to tap in on a later date. But uh, hey, on, on a later date for sure. <laughs> no question. We we got some heavy hit. We got some heavy hitting Blu-ray stories. Oh, but we are gonna tap yeah. tap in on that another episode. But for me, our plane rides are so fun, and that's when I first realized that sit down, put your seatbelt on, we're getting ready to take off. Was overrated because for us, the right. card game was already going before we even took off. I mean, you got guys leaning over the seat. You got guys walking down the aisles. You got guys rolling dice, shooting dice. You got a lot going on. So that's when I realized, yo, anytime I, you know, fly as a normal individual, that's overrated. Nobody cares anything about the seatbelt because they don't want to care anything about us wearing a seatbelt whenever we take off on a team charter. But the one thing I used to love about our plane rides, my rookie year, Jerome Bettis, Hall of Famer, my first time flying with Pittsburgh preseason matchup. I can't remember who we were playing, but we had something what we call the grab bag, right? The grab bag. Oh, yeah. And what the grab bag was is everybody who gets on the plane, they have an option of putting at least $20 in a bag. Mm-hmm. And if you are a player, you write your number on that $20 bill. And if you're a part of the, the team, like a trainer or a coach, you write your initials. And the same can be said for the media personnel as well. So everybody had an opportunity to put at least $20 in a bag. Now for the big steppers on the team, you know, the big, the big pocket guys, they might get, they might put, they might put 500 <laughs> worth of twenties in the bag to try to improve their chances in winning. Right. So what the, the trick about the grab bag listeners and viewers was is the, the, the flight attendant will pick a flight attendant and what she'll do, uh, she'll shake the bag, right? And she'll go in and whatever bill she pulls out, if it has your number on it or your initials on it, guess what? The bag is yours. Pat P, they used to call me Rabbit Foot, bro. First, <laughs> the first official trip. And mind you, in preseason, Pat, you know about this. The rosters are loaded. It's about 90 people on the yeah. roster. 
It's right. deep, mm-hmm. right? So right. the first official road trip, I remember we got our little uh travel money. I think it was like $42 or $62 or something like that. Right. It was like everybody got to put, you know, put put your $20 in there. I'm like, man, I don't even want to do this, man. I don't, man, this is dumb. You know what I mean? I'm like, nah, mm-hmm. I wrote my I wrote 20 for 20 cuz I wore number 20. I put my $20 on the, on the, on the, on the bill, my 20 on the, on the $20 bill. JB Jerome, he got it. He gave it to the students. The flight attendant, she's shaking up, she's shaking it up. She pulled that thing out. Guess what number she called? 20. 20. She called 20. That's, oh, shoot, I won, <laughs> right? So the second, uh, road trip in the preseason, remember you play two home games, two away games. Two the second, the second home, uh, second road trip, the same thing happened. Same process. I'm sitting down. I'm like, man, it's all right. I'm going to just do it because everybody doing it. I got to do it. She, she shook it again. Pull out $20. <laughs> 20. So everybody like, what? Man, it's a rookie winning again. So they made a new rule called a BMAC rule. If, if a rookie wins the grab bag, they got to pull another number so he can split it with a veteran player because yeah, they got mad at me winning. Yes. I was going to ask you. That's what Joey Porter used to do, uh, with us as well. Yeah. He, of course, of course, PZ know about the situation because PZ, you know, we used to do it in Pittsburgh. Right. So they, they got mad at me because I kept winning. I won the first two road trips. So they made, they repulled. I split with Brett Kiesel. Shout out to Kiesel. You know, my guy, but I felt some type right. of way. So mind you, we go through the entire <laughs> season, right? We go to the Super Bowl plane ride from Pittsburgh to Detroit, quick plane ride, could have been about 45, 50 minutes, but because we were playing the Super Bowl, everybody got the bonus checks and things like that. The the money increased. So you, instead of putting $20 in, you had to put at least $100 in, right? A hundred dollar bill, right? So, you know, the big steppers on the team, they were putting in $500 worth of 20. So now they're putting like a band worth a, worth a hundred dollars. You know what I mean? They're trying to improve their chances. So our good friend, your hometown friend, Tyrone Carter, right? He said, man, B Mac. Well, yeah, you real. Hey, he said, B Mac, man, you're real janky, man. He said, you know what, man? I've been, I've been, every time I, every time we do something, bro, you always seem to win. He's like, man, I said, well, my uncle told me when it comes to gambling, the same people always win. He said, man, you know what, man? Let's go half. I said, what you mean? He said, bro, if you win, I split. But if I win, we split. So I'm like, okay, cool. Ain't no pressure. So we put a, I put 100 in there. He put 100 in there. So same process went. The flight attendant, she shakes the bag, comes out. She called TC number, which was 23. 23! TC jump up, I jump up. They're like, Mac, you didn't win. I said, lie, you tell. <laughs> Bro, we went in half on this bag, so we went, we split it. And mind you, listeners and viewers, we were, we were extremely generous. Anytime I won, I always tip the flight attendant big time. Gave a nice tip. But on that Super Bowl right. trip, back because everybody was so happy we're going to Super Bowl. Man, me and TC split probably like $8,000. Mm. We split $8,000 just from the grab bag alone. Oh, and, and 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 you know when we got to the hotel, you know what time it was. <laughs> we're not going to dinner. We're going straight to the gambling room because we had a room in our hotel that was just for gambling. We're going straight to the gambling room. We had the dice game here. We had the tonk game here. We had the Blu-ray game there. And I said, I'm already, I'm, I'm winning. I can't lose nothing tonight. I just went to grab bag. Whoever want to play against me, good luck. Cause I'm not losing nothing today, man. Listen, that's when I knew we were going to win the Super Bowl. We had to win the Super Bowl because I won the grab bag. <laughs> More of the story. Oh, man, anytime you fly, man, try to incorporate the grab bag, man. It's a great opportunity <laughs> to get some unexpected money. Unexpected uh, money. Yeah, I, might, I might have to. I, I might have to incorporate. I might have to bring the the grab bag back out, man. Man, bring the grab bag out to the boys in AZ, man. Make everybody tap in, man. Tap in right now. 
Now it's time for Cardinals check-in, and here's where we recap the most recent ball game with the Arizona Cardinals. That ball game was this past Sunday, 1 p.m. kickoff, New York, uh, against the New York Giants in New York. Big opportunity for the Cardinals to get back into the winning column. They were able to do so. Pat, watching the ball game, I mean, defensively, I think that probably was your best defensive effort. Uh, you sacked Daniel Jones six times. Uh, you end up getting Colt McCoy two times for a total of eight sacks. Hassan Reddit had the game of his life. Going into this right. ball game, he only had five sacks on the season, yeah. right? He finished that ball game with five sacks. This man got double-digit sacks. I don't even know if he ever had double-digit sacks in his entire professional career. And this is a huge achievement for him when it came to the overall team, you know, expectations and being able to provide a huge win for you guys. But also, they declined his fifth-year option. He was a first-rounder a few years ago from the University of Temple. Uh, they declined his fifth-year option. So he's in a contract year. So this was a huge, huge opportunity for uh, Hassan Reddit, not just as an individual, but team effort as well but man where did where did this defensive perform defensive performance come from because no one thought you guys would dominate like you guys dominated against the Giants you know it was just you know we were were dialed in you know just all week knowing that December is the time where you need to you know catch your stride you know to finish off the season strong and hopefully get into that playoff going into the tournament hot guys were were definitely dialed in honed in on their assignments um and just and just had the they just had the ears pinned pin back, you know. It was a, it was a beautiful thing to watch, you know, from the back end to see those guys just stop the run, us able to collapse uh, the pocket for Daniel to make it hard on him to make those throws. Murphy played an outstanding game. Dre played a good game. Um, you know, I just thought it was a, a great all around performance for sure as a defense. So you know, we got three more games left in the season. We got to keep it going. Yeah, in his previous sack high was four so he was already uh above that number going into the ball game against the new york giants but he clearly improved on 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 that area of his ball game and daniel jones you know played play in the game he didn't really seem healthy i felt like colt mccoy probably would have been a better option for them clearly for you guys it didn't matter who you were playing against because your defensive front dominated in the trenches looking at some of these numbers pat p the giants had 159 yards of total offense their fewest in a game since 2013 at carolina their fewest in a home game since 06 against new orleans uh, no Giants player had more than three receptions or more than 40 yards receiving. So based on those numbers and based on the eye test for me watching the ball game, you had a boring ball game. And I, you know what, Pat P, I don't think you're complaining about that because like you said, the guys in the first and second level were eating so much. You didn't, they didn't leave any crumbs for the guys in the secondary, but talk about the mentality when you see the front dominating and the linebackers flowing around, you know, making all the plays. What do you need to do just to stay on your P's and Q's and not underestimating the team you're going against because they didn't have any success from start to finish against you guys. Well, you know, my whole mindset is just stand focused for 60 minutes. You know, nothing else matters. Only thing that matters is me getting the job done and helping my guys uh, achieve our goal, you know, for that three and a half hours or however, however long we're in that stadium. That's the only thing that matters. And when I was younger, you know, I kind of fell into that, that trap of, like you said, getting bored and, you know, sometimes, you know, a team would catch me trying to lure me to sleep and get that, you know, that deep ball on me or, or things like that. But, you know, those are lessons that I, I learned at a young age. And 
Um, never wanted that to happen again. So just staying locked in, completely focused for 60 minutes, um, three and a half hours during the duration of uh, the time that we're there at the stadium. But, you know, just, just trying to find a way and just always being locked in, staying in the moment. Yeah, and this win, you know, got you guys, put you guys right back in the playoff conversation. And after winning this ball game, the locker room vibe, did you guys, you know, go to a monitor to see exactly what some of the other teams were doing that you're fighting with to get into the playoffs? No, not really, because, you know, at, at the end of the day, you know, all we can do is focus on ourselves. Yes, we dug ourselves in this hole that we're in, but, you know, we still have to win ball games. Yeah. You know I mean, and now, like you said, we in the, uh, I think we were one game ahead of the team that's teams that's are that are behind us. Mm-hmm. So all we got to do is win. You know what I mean? We're, we're, we're back in per se in the driver's seat at the seventh seed. And all we have to do is just win the ball games that, that we have in front of us. You know, we can't, we can't worry about, you know, anyone else or what they're doing. Uh, if we was probably in that eighth spot, yeah, you have to worry a little bit more about what other teams are doing. But now that we are back in the playoff picture and the playoff, uh, um, the tournament as of now, we just have to win the games that we have scheduled. Now it's time for, the Eagles look ahead matchup preview, to say the least. This is the next ball game for the Arizona Cardinals, the Philadelphia Eagles. They just played against an NFC foe in the New York Giants right after the Giants. You got another NFC team in the Philadelphia Eagles. And I can tell you this much. There was a lot of uncertainty with this ball club a few weeks ago, clearly spiraling in the wrong direction. But with the blink of an eye, things changed, right? You make a change at the quarterback position. You insert a young rookie, athletic rookie in Jalen Hurts. And they did the unthinkable this past Sunday, Pat P. They upset the New Orleans Saints. And I think the New Orleans Saints probably was playing some of the best football in the NFC. Defensively, stout unit. I mean, they had a crazy stat. They had not allowed a 100-yard rusher in the last 60 contests. They allowed two. Miles Sanders went ham. Jalen Hurts went ham. And I think looking at the flow of the game, and I was able to watch that game uh, also, Jalen Hurts just provided some energy for their offense. And remember the offensive line woes and the pass-catching woes, uh, they weren't able to do anything. But they insert Jalen Hurts and seemed like the morale of the team changed for the better. And now you guys have an opportunity to see Jalen Hurts in person. You're an SEC guy. I know you, I know you watched a lot of Jalen Hurts when he was at Alabama and clearly a, a year ago, cause I know you love college football as well at Oklahoma. You haven't really been able to tap in to that game against the Saints, but just understanding and knowing you played against a young quarterback early in the year in Tua Tunga Valoa, right? And Jalen Hurts, I think he's more of a natural runner than Tua Tunga Valoa is. And that has to be a part of his game for them to be successful. But talk about the mindset when you're going against a guy that can run the football well, but he does not mind running the ball if need be. I mean, those those dual quarterbacks are definitely hard to cover, man, especially when they actually have a good arm with it. Um, you know, those hards are, those guys are hard to prepare for because those unscripted plays are you you can't practice that. You know what I mean? You just have to go through your mind all the times. Like if you break the pocket, try try my best to stay plastic to my coverage. You know what I mean? So. I haven't had – well, I watched a little bit of a uh, Philly offense, but I didn't watch the um, – the, the Saints game. Uh, the New Orleans game yet. Yeah. So uh, it's going to be kind of um, intriguing to see um, the different styles that, that they're running of offense versus with Carson. Yeah. With Jalen. So, but, yeah, seeing, looking at his numbers and seeing what he did in that ball game, statistically it looked like he had a hell of a first yeah. start. Yeah. 167 yards through the air 
one passing touchdown, 106 rushing yards. He had one costly fumble uh, that they were able to bounce back from. Um, but he joins Lamar Jackson as the only quarterback since at least 1950 to have 100-plus rushing yards in their first career start. So he's a dynamic player. And the thing that I love about Jalen Hurts, he just goes about his business and he does it the right way. He never complains. He understands the moment. He embraces the moment. And even going back to his collegiate days, remember he was a starting quarterback as a freshman at Alabama. All he did was win ball games and then lost his job to Tua Tungvaluwa, never complained. And eventually they ended up calling his cell phone right back to come bail him out. He jumped into that ball game against Georgia, bailed him out, transfers to Oklahoma, and just balls out. So this guy has been nothing but a winner. And I think this is going to be a real big challenge for you guys because this is a huge game for both teams, right? We just talked about the playoff picture. You're currently back in, and they're trying to fight not just for a playoff spot. They're trying to win the division, most importantly, for the uh, the Eagles. So this is a huge, huge game uh, for both organizations, and it starts and stop in the trenches. I just talked about the pass rush you guys provided uh, against the Giants. If you can do the same thing, I mean, look out. I mean, you guys can definitely – cause a lot of damage and it starts with the pass rush and looking at the pass catchers for Jalen Hurts you know I don't know if there's a guy you potentially would be following you have young guy like Jalen uh, uh Rager first rounder from TCU you know you got a vet and Alshon Jeffrey who was back in the lineup he caught a touchdown on a back shoulder fade against Marshawn Lattimore do you believe you will be following any guy or just lining up on your left side uh I think I'll just be lining up on the left side yeah I haven't got any messages or, you know, any up uh, heads up about, you know, traveling to a receiver. So it looks like I'll probably be on the left side for the most part. And you know what, Pat, a lot of people don't understand the difference between a left corner and a right corner. And usually, and I'll let you break this down, put your coaching hat, hat on, but when you play left corner, what does that n- mostly mean for you, being a left corner? Well, when I'm at left corner, I'm just honestly just paying attention to formations and and splits, you know, versus if I'm, I have an opportunity to travel with a guy, you know, trying to pick up small tendencies on with the receiver. If, uh, you know, how, like I said, like I talked about the splits, how close he is with the, uh, to another receiver, how close he is to the line of scrimmage to get the route concepts down in my head versus if I'm going up a, against, have a matchup. Yep. Now I have to figure out, you know, what they do well, what they don't like when he motions. When he's at the number two at, uh, at, at the slot, uh, receiver, you know, it's a little bit more detail going to, um, just, you know, covering the left side versus playing, uh, having a matchup. And also too, most teams put their best cover guy on the left side because most quarterbacks are right handed. So, you yeah. know, it's, it's an, it's a natural flow to instantly throw to your right side, especially if you're in a panic situation because, you know, as a right handed, you, you tend to look to that right side more so than right your left first. side. And that's always been a, a smooth tactic for a lot of coaches and a lot of defensive schemes, being able to put, you know, your best cover guy to the left side because they might get target more so than the right corner. But in a National Football League, you're going to get target. There's no way around that. But usually that has it used to be the old say-so when it came to uh, position players when you put certain players on the football field defensively. Now, listeners and viewers, this is a segment where we usually tap into news around the league, but this is a special week. You know what the week this is? This is Christmas before Christmas when it comes to college football. National signing day is Wednesday, the early signing day period. And I know I got a big story about my signing day experience. I know Pat P has a, a signing day experience story as well, but we would like to share with you guys 
our signing day moment. And before we share with you guys, make sure you stay tuned with us. We got Antonio Cromartie joining us later in the show. All right after our halftime break, don't worry, he will have a lot to say. So make sure you stay tuned to check out the conversation with Antonio Cromartie. But before we get to Antonio Cromartie, we got to get to signing day. Pat, you came out, what, Blanche Ely High School, what year? Was that 2008? 2008, yeah. you were the number one rated corner in the, in the nation. Uh, you had all the options available for you for as far as uh, universities to attend. But what? how did that process go for you? Did you have like a big gathering at school? Did you have, you know, the TV cameras there? You know, what was that experience like for you? Um, my experience was uh, actually kind of – so going into my sign today, everybody knew who I was going to sign to because I played in the Army – the U.S. Army All-American Bowl game. Oh yeah, you made your announcement was, during during the game, right? Yeah. Okay, right, yeah. right. So I had uh, I forgot the teams I had up there. I think it was like Florida, LSU, and Miami. Florida State. It, it could have been Florida State. I think it was Florida State. Yeah, and I picked I picked my uh, my team on on um on uh, on national TV with uh what was his name Tom Tom Lugan Lugan. Lugan Bill? Yeah, Lugan Bill. Lugan Bill. Yeah, I had my family, my mom, my dad, yeah, I remember my head that. coach, uh, my sisters. Um, yeah, so that was an awesome moment. Then when I actually signed my letter of intent uh, in February, that's when we had like a whole shindig at the school because that was actually back when I was coming out, National Signing Day was after the season. It was like the first week in February. Um, so I signed, signed, uh, made it official and signed my letter of intent to LSU. It was huge. It was, uh, we was all in the, uh, in the, uh, in, in the auditorium there at, at uh, at Blanche Ely. And it was a, it was a nice outing. Had fun, uh, with my friends. You know, you know, you see that moment for the guys when you're a freshman on school, on campus, like I had opportunity to see, um, my cousin Walter, um, signed to Auburn and see him go through that process. So, it was a, it was all, it was awesome feeling to finally, you know, be in that position to know that you, you know, where your future is going to be for the next three or four years. The three hats you had: Florida, Florida State, LSU. That was the three hats. I thought it was Florida yeah. State. Yeah, yeah, that was the three hats. Well, my experience clearly the time was the same. National Signing Day was after the season. It was usually in the beginning of February, and we did a little uh, a gathering in the media center uh, at MacArthur High School in Hollywood, Florida, and I didn't really come to terms about the school I was going to to attend until the night before signing day. And I remember uh, I needed to go get like a nice little shirt. Uh, I, dro- I drove to Burlington well, Coat Factory. I went, no, went I, went to, I went to Berlin. I went to the Coat Factory. You know, you get your nice deal at the Coat Factory. You know, back in those yeah, you days. Know, back in the day, Marshalls had them, them good deals too. Now. No question. The Polos <laughs> and the Nauticas. Yes, sir. The yes, Polos sir. and the Nauticas. So I, I, I drive the uh, Burlington Coat Factory, got me a nice little shirt. I think it was like a Sean John shirt or something like that. And uh, on the way home, driving home, I started really thinking about the process. I'm like, man, it was it was clearly between Miami and Florida State. And, you know, I was getting a lot of a lot of uh, pressure from a lot of Hurricane fans down there living in South Florida. And I remember when I got home, I called. Uh, Travis Johnson, who was uh, the number one D lineman in the country that year, we visited Florida State together, and he was thinking about going to Michigan. And I and I basically, I, I when I was talking to him, Pat, I was like, man, you know what, Tallahassee is where we need to go. Man, we trying to get to the league. Tallahassee, Mickey Andrews can prepare us to get to the league. And I I literally talked him into signing with Florida State as well. And you know, and he was in the West Coast, he was in L.A., so he's three hours behind us. So he's like, man, Mac, don't lie to me, man, because if you're not going to Florida State, I'm not going to Florida State either. 
So I told him, I said, well, I'll sign before you because I wake up. We go, you know, we three hours ahead of you. So literally when I got to the school, I didn't tell nobody else. Nobody else knew I was going to Florida State, not even my parents. So we got to school. It was like the entire school was off. It was like a holiday. No one was going to class. Everybody was, you know, because I was a, a big deal. You know, I was the number one corner right. of the country. So everybody was, uh, we had some other guys that were signing to other schools and they saved me for last. So I had three hats. I had, well, technically I only had one hat. I had it in a box. That's what I had. I, it was similar, similar to my full state hat right here. I had it in a box and uh, they introduced me. You know, they gave all, all my awards and accolades that I accomplished throughout my high school career. And we had a whole bunch of Miami Hurricane fans in there and they had the, uh, the local news, you know, South Florida news, channel seven, uh, channel 10. They were all there and they saved me for last. And I was like, man, you know, I was nervous too. I was like literally shaking. Cause you know, you had to, they, they faxed the paperwork in right for you to sign. I was literally shaking, man. I opened the box. I pulled out the Florida state hat. You had half of the room was jumping for joy. The other half was passing out going crazy. Cause I had a lot of hurricane fans in there. So long story short, man, that was an unbelievable achievement just to have that opportunity to go to school. Right and play football and get a free education was something that I know I dreamed of as a child because all I want to do is play football and being able to share that moment with my classmates, the entire county, you know, my family that was there was something was something that I would never forget. And I tell, if I can have a message to the recruits right now, please cherish this moment. Don't take it for granted because there are only a few individuals in their lifetime that will have an opportunity to pick Whatever school they would like to attend for the next three or four years, understand how important that is and make the most of your opportunity. Now it's time uh, to go in and go into the locker room, make a few adjustments, you know, hydrate. And when we come back on the opposite side of this quarter, we have Antonio Cromartie joining us, talking about his professional career, collegiately and professionally, and talking about life after football. Make sure you stay tuned. Robert Half Research indicates 9 out of 10 hiring managers are having difficulty hiring. If you have open roles, chances are you're feeling this too. That's why you need Robert Half. Our specialized recruiting professionals engage with our proprietary AI to connect businesses of all sizes with highly skilled talent in finance and accounting, technology, marketing and creative, legal and administrative and customer support. At Robert Half, we know talent. Visit roberthalf.com today. Did you know that while over 60% of Americans dream of starting their own business, less than 20% of them take the first step? The reason? Building a business is tough. Taylor Brands is simplifying the business journey. From launching and managing to growing your business, Taylor Brands isn't just another tool. It's your online business partner from launch to success. With Taylor Brands, building your dream business becomes an effortless experience. Their comprehensive platform guides you through every step, ensuring you have everything you need in one place. From LLC formation to bookkeeping, invoicing to acquiring licenses and permits, and even setting up your bank account, Taylor Brands handles it all seamlessly. And our listeners will receive 35% off Taylor Brands LLC formation plans using our link, taylorbrands.com slash Sports. That's T-A-I-L-O-R-B-R-A-N-D-S dot com slash CBS Sports. So start your business journey today with Taylor Brands. Welcome back. Fresh out of the locker room from halftime. We got a chance to hydrate. We promised you guys earlier in the show another special guest. And guess what? We got our nickel package in the game. I'm going to go ahead and slide to the inside because we promised you guys a special guest, right? And this guy used to be on the perimeter locking down wide receivers left and right. So 
they can play whatever side they want to play. I'm going to just go ahead and slide on into the inside and play this slot corner. But we got an outstanding guest joining us right now, former Florida State Seminole, my former teammate back in Tallahassee, 11-year NFL vet, first-round pick in 2006, four-time pro bowler, first-team all-pro in 2007. Dude had 31 career interceptions, including a league-leading 10 double-digit pick season in 2007. At Crow31 on Twitter, at Antonio Cromartie31 on Instagram. Antonio Cromartie making history right now on All Things Covered because you're the first corner we had, we've, we've had on this show as a guest. So that's history in the making. But like I said, man, I'm 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 a slide inside, man. Crow, what's happening with you? How you been? Man, I'm good, man. I can't complain, man. Just just chilling with the fam and just and just and just trying to get see what's what's the next move for myself, man. Yeah, you, you got know, the locks, you know. He, you know, I got he the locks. Yeah. You know, he hey Pat, you know he Leon Cody, man. You know how the boys do. You know boys Leon County. No question. Speaking of Leon County, you were born in Tallahassee. You played yeah. high school in Tallahassee, Lincoln High School. Um, the recruiting process was hectic for you. you. You were the best corner, best DB in the nation. And you know what's funny, man? It's it's this. I gotta I gotta throw this out here to the listeners and viewers because all three of us all played corner, us. right? <laughs> but all three of us was the number one corner in America when we came out of high school, right? Yeah. Think about that. Back. The number one, we all were number one in our position, all number one in the secondary. So, hey, man, we did something right. We did something right coming out of high school. <laughs> right. But the process was was hectic for you. But Florida State was down the road. I mean, th- were there, did you have any other legit options, or was it Florida State from the beginning to the end? Well, people don't understand. I wasn't even, I wasn't even going to Florida State. Yeah? I was going to Michigan. I was on my way to the big house because, you know, you know, during that time, everything was going on with A.D., Mm-hmm. Adrian McPherson. So during that time, I was like, man, I ain't finna go to that school with everything that's going on there. How they handling my boy? It's like, man, it, you get a black quarterback now they want to treat him wrong. I was like, man, I'm gone. So I honestly, Florida State didn't recruit me until two weeks before signing day. Really? They didn't recruit me until two weeks before signing day. Look, I was I was on my way to Michigan until Michigan messed it up. What did Michigan do? House. Man, listen, Lord Carr and uh, what's his name? Uh, he was a DC back in uh in uh Detroit, black dude, uh Terrell, Terrell Austin. He was my he was my recruiter. Oh, yeah. uh-huh. and they showed up to my house yeah. three hours late, bro. Wow. Hey, hey, my mama, my mama went ham, like, man, y'all think y'all finna get my son? Man, hell no, nah, y'all can leave. <laughs> like, hey, didn't even sit down how no, didn't even sit down and have a in-house visit. My mama told them they can leave. Man, I'm like, right. man, well, they got my options. So it's either it was from that point in time, it was either Florida State or Miami. And then Miami dropped me from their recruiting uh list uh a week before my visit. Because they knew you were coming to Florida State. Nah. Man, Florida State wasn't even on listen, Florida State so wasn't even Miami dropped you. Okay, so you know, I got a phone call from so- Coach Solinger and Coach CJ at that time when it was a coach. Mm-hmm. Uh, and Coach Solinger on the phone crying, man. <laughs> On the phone crying, talking about man, we didn't drop you for your we we um they want to drop you from the recruiting list. I'm like, all right, cool. He's like, man, I don't know what's going on. I don't know what been said. I don't know what what's been done. But they said they don't want you uh to play uh DB for us. I was like, all right, cool. I see y'all as uh when I go to Florida State. So that's when I decided to go to Florida State. Uh, but Florida State wasn't even on my on my visits. Like, wow. my mom made me put Florida State on my visit. I'm like, why well, do I need to go visit Florida I, State? I've been on the campus every single summer. I remember <laughs> I remember you on your visit, too, because it was you, 
Uh, what Ernie. was the receiver that went to, uh, it was Ernie, Ernie Sims, the receiver that went to Florida. Caldwell. Uh, uh, um, Andre? Andre. Andre Caldwell. Yeah, yeah I, remember, I, remember, I remember that weekend. I uh, remember, uh, Amp, Amp Lee. Yep. From Jacksonville, from, from Jacksonville. Uh, uh, from, uh, Coastal, from First mm-hmm. Coast. Yeah, I, I remember that weekend. And Big Cuz. Big Cuz. Shout out to Mario, man. Yes, Mario sir. Anderson, man. He was on that trip too. Yeah, Big Cuz. So, Crow, tell the listeners, man, how did participating in track help you uh, in high school and college uh, become a football player? One, I hated track. <laughs> hated track. Man, I hated track. I was good at it, but I hated track. Though I was, man, I ran, a, I ran the four hundred meters. Man, you yeah. know what that four hundred yeah, do to that, that's, that's a dog. That's, that's and I went, well, I went forty. <laughs> I went forty-five, forty-five, eight in high school, bro. I hated track, but the thing about track was nobody could sit there and tell me I ain't running the time that I needed to run. No college coach could ever come to me and be like, hey, I need you to run a 40. Man, I ain't running no 40. Man, you better look at this 400 meter and this 200 meter and these 110 hurdles that I ran. You know what I'm saying? Right. But it's just like the competition side of track, man, is totally different from the football side of it. So I think that's why I fell in love with it a little bit. I hated it, but I loved it at the same time because – Man, you know, you face up against guys like Xavier Carter. I ran against Justin Gatlin on the 110 hurdles. Man, I, man, that dude beat my head in. I think he went 12-9. <laughs> I went 13-5, man. And the dude wasn't even, even a hurdler. The dude was a 100-meter runner. Yeah. Right. So you know how that Olympian. means. I'm a guy that ran the 300 hurdles, 400 hurdles, and also ran the 110 hurdles my whole entire time running track. And this dude come out here and run 12-9 in high school or 13-1 in high school, something like that, at a state meet, and then walked off like it was nothing. Man, but, man, I think, like, people have to understand what track what track does for a football player. Like, I felt like I was a football player more than I was just a track runner. Mm-hmm. Like, one, it taught me how to breathe. It taught me how to, when I need to accelerate, when I needed to decelerate, especially running that 400 meters. You know what I'm saying? Like, I mean, 400 meters taught me, okay, I'm going to run the curve and I'm going to stride the rest of the way until I get to the 160 mark. Then I can explode and hit the curve like I want to and let the, let the curve carry me off. But it was just like, you know when to use your speed, you know when not to use your speed with track. And that transferred over to the football field more so than anything. Like, I was never tired. So it was just like to a point of if I wanted to act tired, it was just a point of just trying to bait somebody to throw the ball to me. But it just, it just taught me how to breathe. It taught me how to recover faster than everybody else that was on the football field. Because everybody else didn't run track. So if you didn't know how to breathe correctly and can't gain your breath back quicker than everybody else, man, you're going to be, you're going to be ass out. That's just yeah. how it was. No doubt. Well, Crow, you tore your ACL in voluntary workouts going into your <laughs> junior year in the summertime. And I actually was out there because I had just got drafted and I came back yeah. and was working out with you guys. And you were a two-way player. You know, especially in high school, you used to love anytime we were doing the DB drill pack and Coach Andrews needed a wide receiver, especially in the red zone. 13 always wanted to hop out there and try to maul somebody. He was going to give you a great look now because he's going to go all the way in and trying to catch the route uh, that it was throwing. But Crow, you tore your ACL playing wide receiver. And I remember I told you, stop getting out there and letting these boys cover you, man. You, you about to go get paid. Tore your ACL. How big, how big of a blow was that for you, especially with the expectations that so many people had for you going into that year and getting hurt in the summer, not even being able to play the entire season? Well, I think just coming in like that year, man, I, I bust my behind that just that all season, just from a standpoint, I went from 220 to 203. Mm-hmm. So you know how Mickey is. He, hey, you're going to play at 220, I'm moving you to safety. 
<laughs> so <laughs> Mick Andrews, I ain't played no game. But so it was just a point of like, you work so hard, you go through all when they had the Playboy All-American, all that stuff there. So you go on all these visits. I think two weeks after that visit, I told my ACL, uh, after coming back from that Playboy All-American, uh, shoot. The expectations of like, okay, I got this for myself, but I know what I want for the team. You know what I'm saying? Like, I want to make sure that, hey, I give a, I give us a better chance. Cause that way, that year, I was supposed to be a two-way player that year. So I was going to play offense and defense that year. Just working out, though, it was just like something you go, I jumped in the air and basically hype presented my knee. I'm just going up for a jump ball. Nobody really around me. The dude that was covering me actually didn't even jump with me. Mm-hmm. Came down, hype presented my knee. And I remember, man, I was like telling myself, I told my AC, I knew I tore it. Before even any of the trainers, anybody got there, I already knew I took my ACL. Man, I ain't never felt no pain like that in my life. And uh, like just sitting down and you, you talking to uh, Mickey Andrews, talking to Coach Brown during that time, man. And it was just like a whole, like the whole building just had gets caved in after talking with them, like the expectations they had for that year. And people don't know this, but I was actually finna leave. I took my cleats off and everything, and the DB asked me to go. And I put my cleats back on just for one last rep and went on that. But it was just like going through that process, man. One, it humbled me because at the end of the day, you know how we get, man. You get all these the accolades start coming in. People you start reading your own. You start smelling yourself. But, man, it was for me, it was a humbling experience because it just taught me the how to deal with adversity and also how to – look forward and set goals. Like I was a person, I never really set goals. I was just a person that's, you know, for me, it was just like, I'm going to just go play ball because I was better than everybody else, you know? So it was just like, for me, it, it humbled me. It's like, hey, you got you to humble yourself. So that year was most the most humbling experience I ever got. I was up at five o'clock in the morning during the off season. I mean, say during that time, just to go up into the meetings with the coaches, just so I can learn something different. So that's how I actually learned how to play well, watch film with Mickey Andrews and those guys. So it was like a learning experience, also a humbling experience at the same time. Well, what you missing that whole year, that entire year, did you, and going 19th overall in the 2006 mm-hmm. draft, could you ima- imagine that scenario happen for you after tearing your ACL? Well, I had a three year. I, had, <laughs> I told Coach Brown that I had three years and I was gone. And no matter what kind of year I was, it was going to be no matter what. And I just, I mean, I was a guy, I'm true. I was three years and gone. Um, but no, I didn't imagine it being that way. People, I got a fifth round to a seventh round grade when I came out. Um, because just because nobody knew anything about me, you know, I got to think I played in 25 games. I only had one start in my whole college career, like one start in my whole college career. So I didn't know what to expect. My thing was if I can show that I'm healthy, I can go out and go run a four, three or four, four, 40. I was cool. Cause I felt like the DBs that was that were in that was ahead of me, I felt like they weren't better than me from the beginning. Who I were some like of the DBs was, in that class, bro? So uh DBs that was drafted before me was Michael Huff, uh Dante Whitner, Jason Allen, Ty Hill, those four corners. I was the field corner taken. Yeah. So those Ty, four, Ty those Hill four went DBs, to the Rams, right? And Ty Hill went to Miami. Miami. To the Rams, Jason Allen went to Miami. Yep. And what's not um, Dante Winter was at uh, okay. Buffalo, right? Buffalo. Yeah, he was at Buffalo. So those four DBs went in front of me, and then I think after me was Jonathan Joseph at twenty-two or uh, twenty-four. 
to uh Cincinnati. Cincinnati. So it was it was six DBs taken in the first round that year. But I felt like I was better than the first four that was in front of me anyway, but I just didn't play. So nobody had nobody had no true film on me. Like every coach that I talked to during that process, going into the combine and all that stuff, only thing they can do is watch practice film film from that year because I came back and started practicing, I think three and a half months after my ACL tear. So that's the only film they got from me the whole entire time was that practice yeah. film and they had to go back and watch sophomore tape. And that, that Miami game sophomore year. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. Miami, that, 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 that Miami game. That, yeah, so that, that was definitely big, man. Uh, me and you play for the same coach, coach mm-hmm. Mickey Andrews, living legend, right? What's your most memorable coach Andrews story? <laughs> <laughs> Mac, man, you know what you know what memory this is. <laughs> so <laughs> let's hear it. Let's hear it. So listen, we I just came back off injury like that same week. I let's think it was a week before we played Miami. I had just came back into practice and I ain't practiced really the whole entire practice that day. Mickey Andrews called me. Hey Crow, get your some sorry some bitch ass in there uh at, on, at goal line corner. <laughs> I'm like, what? Hey, but Crow, before you tell a story, please tell us. I don't know what, what kind of goal line formation they had with Pat was at LSU, but please, please tell the listeners and viewers what we had to do as a goal line corner. It wasn't like we were just out and about. We had to get involved. No, no, no. Nah. That's technique. It was, listen, there was no receivers. Mm-mm. No receivers. Oh, you're going to get in that heat, stick your face in the fan, or oh, hey, oh, you're going to be on the sideline with him, and he's going to be spending them sunflower season and showing on bubblegum at the same time. But I come in, I come in, and I make a a cut play, and I actually get back up to make the top and get ran, slap over. <laughs> get ran, <laughs> get ran, slap over, and re-injure my hip flexor all over again. So I'm on the ground. I'm on the ground like Screaming because my hip hurting again. Here come Mickey Andrews. You sorry, some bitch. You don't get your ass up. There ain't nothing wrong with you. Man, be my I jumped up so fast. I said, damn the injury. I jumped up so fast and, and about to grab Mickey Andrews. Here come be Mac. Nah, Crow, don't do it. Don't do it, Crow. Man, listen. Hey, Pat. I said, Crow, what crazy? <laughs> Hey, Yo, I told man, I told Mickey Andrew, you know what? I'm going to receiver that week. I said I ain't playing no more DB. <laughs> yeah. I'm, playing, I'm going over to receiver. Hey, pick him jump down over. Hey, jump down on the back end. Yeah, hey, bro, we can use you. He ain't using you over there. We can use you over here. <laughs> hey, all right, man. I had switched position about six times at Florida State my freshman and sophomore year, man. <laughs> Crow went and played receiver that, on his own. That, that part he of it is like, so, hey. Man, listen, Mickey Andrews, man, I almost fought Mickey Andrews about six times. It was a lot of people almost fought Cole Andrews. That's the man, thing. Man. That, he, he took you to a, a whole nother level. You didn't even mentally. know you had. Mentally, yeah. Mentally, though. Like, and, then, and then the physical part, Yeah, it was the mental part of the game where he challenged you the most. <sighs> listen, I, I remember my freshman year, my very first practice. I jogged from the other side of the field. And I walked the last two yards on the field. Oh, Mm-mm. this man made me back crawl for the next five minutes. I'm talking about the whole field. And I and I better get down there in a heartbeat. Full pads on, helmet on, everything. Don't even get hey, you get back down, you better get back down to, to, to the whistleblowing. Yeah. It was just like his challenge, like prepare everything 
for any situation in the game, like you never got flustered in, into any situation. So it was just like, man, I got Mick Andrews. I ain't trying to screw up. I ain't trying to mess up. Oh, no. I ain't trying to do right. nothing because I know what's going to happen. We used to be out there when we used to be playing and we'd be dominating and, and pack. We had goals. So if a team got over 300 yards on us, that's mm-hmm. a full gasser, right? If they got, right. like, if they scored more than 16 points, 15 points, that's a full gasser. Man, we used to be like, man, listen, man, we used to be scoreboard watching, not watching the other people's scores, but watching how many yards we gave up. Cause we knew regardless of the outcome, he was going to try to, he was going to try to slaughter us on Monday. Man, and, yeah. and, them, and them fake suicide times that he was over there oh, giving oh us, man, everybody man. make it. Ain't nobody <laughs> make it. Man, what? You ain't running fast enough, Crow. And, and B Mac, Crow, man, you better run. Like, bro, I ain't running. Nah, hey. bro, you ain't running fast enough. Come on, man. They used to cuss each other out all the time. I ain't running fast enough. We used to have it before, Pat. Let's transition to not your rookie year, but 2007, right? Your second year in the league. And uh, I remember I remember it like it was yesterday, man, because I'm like, when this man Crow is in the zone. Double-digit picks, 10 picks in that year. Uh, just talk about that vibe that you were in. I mean, I mean, clearly you were just – the rim was the size of the ocean for you. You couldn't miss, <laughs> right? You were getting a yeah. pick, it seemed like, almost every weekend. If I'm not mistaken, you were not even a starting corner because y'all had Jamma and Drayton, right, in 2007. Yeah, my, my, my first start was the Sunday night game against Peyton. That was my first, yeah. first start. Yeah. So now we're going to talk about that play because, you know, we had Odell on last week talking about his <laughs> catch. But, heck, man, you had a great catch as well. We're going to talk about that play as well. But getting 10 picks, not even being a starting corner, man, what kind of vibe were you in? And at what point in time did you realize it was going to be a special year for you? Honestly, man, shit, man, I almost didn't make it that year. Be really? Honest with you. Yeah, man. I was just out of it mentally. Uh-huh. Um, you know, so much was just going on off the field, family stuff, you know, with mm-hmm. my kids and all that stuff. I just, I just wasn't there in the first part of the season, man. It was just, I just wasn't there. And then I don't know what clicked for me to the point of just saying, look, I got to get myself back because – I just wasn't there mentally. Like I was depressed, man. I was going through a whole bunch of stuff right before the season started. So like for me, people don't understand like that, that year was one of my hardest years mentally than any other year that I've, I've had playing ball. Cause I was just, I was just going through a lot of stuff off the field. And, um, man, I don't be honest with you, man. I don't know what click that Austin during that season. It was like, I think it was like week four. I think we're playing the Raiders. And something just clicked for me. I just like I just gotta go play ball. I think I got my first pick against the Raiders against Dante Culpepper. Then I think three weeks after that, it was against Matt Schaub with the two picks, one for a touchdown and a farmer curve for a touchdown that game. And then after that, it was just it just kept coming. It was that week, then the following week it was going to um Minnesota and having the interception return for a touchdown. You know, it was just it was just stuff that just kept going and going and going. I want to point of just saying something that just clicked for me. I just like for me, I just I think I put myself in a when I got to when I got myself in the building, I had to separate myself from my my life and with my off field life to my 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 infield life. And the person that honestly that helped me with that, uh, Pat Pino, K Rock. <laughs> K Rock was the person that helped me. That's why man, he'll tell you, man, K Rock relationship was crazy. But he's the person that helped me, man, like get me back to where I needed to be. Like a lot of people don't know, man. Like I was, I was lost, bro. 
And he's the person that actually like helped me the most um, from a mental standpoint, just get me back to get me back to some kind of normalcy back in my life during that time. So it was just like for him, he spent, man, he's, I used to stay the night at his house just because, man, I just didn't know what I was going to do. Like, that's the kind of coach I had. Like, that's why, like, when me and Pat Peace, I was in 14, I used to cuss each other out. That was just <laughs> our relationship. Hey, Crow, you was yeah, cussing man. coaches out left and right, though. You were doing man. that in Florida State. <laughs> no, <bro>. but I, <laughs> <laughs> like, that's just who you, you cuss a coach out quick. You're like, what? You're tripping. Just cuss a coach out real quick. But it was just like, you know, during that time, it was just for him, it was just like he just wanted to make sure I was cool. And you yeah. see that from a coach, man. You just want to go out and go play uh, play your best for him. And that's and that's something I just went out and did. It wasn't nothing that point saying that it's click. It was just the point I had I had that support. I had that supporting cast that I didn't have my first year and part of my first part of my, my part of my second year until, you know, he came into the until he came into the picture, man. Nah man, shout out Coach Rock. He's definitely one of my all-time favorite uh, defensive back coach in the league for sure. Hey, but also in 2007, you had a, a 109 missed field goal return. Mm-hmm. Who was that against? Minnesota. Okay, that, that was, was that, Minnesota. That, that was so that's what I. That's what I. What does it mean to you to have a record that would never be broken unless the size of the football field changed? <laughs> the, honestly, I didn't even know I. Let me tell you. Let me tell you how clueless I was when it happened, though. I'm just thinking I just returned the kick. I ain't thinking none of it. Like, I ain't right. not thinking, like, and coaches no cuts in my halftime. Like, you set a record. I'm like, what you mean? Like, I just returned the kick. What you mean? Nah, it was like, look, your foot is dang near on the line. Like, there's no other play that's ever going to go this. That's go this. Right. Like, bro, you going to be in the hall. Your stuff is going to the Hall of Fame. You ain't you never got to worry about nothing. I ain't think nothing of it, be honest with you, but it was just like, dang, I ain't, it's just a football play. Like, you don't think nothing of it. You just think like you just trying to make a play for your team. Mm-hmm. And honestly, man, to this day, like everyone asked me what's my favorite play. That's my all-time favorite play. Just because the situation is, I think what, we tied 7-7 and then we go up, we go up 14-7 or something like that right before halftime. And it was just that part of the game. It's like, man, we weren't doing nothing. Like, yeah, right. we offense won't move in. Defense, defense going to stop Adrian Peterson. Yeah, Adrian Peterson had a record that day. Uh, yeah, 296. Yeah, <laughs> 296. Yeah, like 296. Man, and it was just something like, when you look back on it, man, you're like, dang, okay, then, cool. Like, stuff still still, still up there in, Hall- at the, at, at, in Canton. So, you just like, man, that, that's beautiful because this is just like, you know, I could take my kids up there and go see it. Nah, man. They can be like, okay, yeah, he, you did play football. Like, you know, yeah, I know I did. Right. <laughs> <laughs> hey, that, that's going to be there forever. Did you realize you were an inch away from being out of bounds, though, when you made the catch? Because, like, like your coach said, when we watched the replay, your heel is, like, right there on the line. On the line. Did you realize funny. exactly where you were on the field? Well, I knew where I was because it was funny, but I was, I was climbing with the ref. I was like, I'm a, if he kicked this ball to get anywhere near this goalpost, I'm jumping up and I'm blocking it. He's like, I'm gonna count the points, so it don't matter. Yeah. But it was just like I didn't know. I just, you know, what I'm saying my point was I was just gonna just leap up as high as I can get it and see where where if I land on that bounce, I land on that bounce. But my thing was not to make sure they ain't score no points. I ended up landing in the bounce, and the rest was history. Yeah, no question. That was big, man. I remember watching that play and seeing that kind of you're, you're talking about your 400 meter um, track days. 
kind of put me in the mind of you hitting that corner, which you said, uh, yes, sir. 169 meters. That's right. That's right. That's the only thing I thought about. Hey, I gave that little bend and once I hit that curve, I was gone. No question. Yeah, we definitely saw that. And then a few years later, after that play in 2007, 2010, uh, you get traded to the New York Jets. Uh, Mm -hmm. no, what was the, what was going through your mind when that happened? Did you know you potentially could be traded? And, and if you didn't know, were you surprised or did you feel some type of way with the organization? Uh, no, I asked to be traded. Okay. I asked to be traded. And, um, and why you asked to be traded? It just wasn't, it wasn't right. It wasn't right. It was, I need, I needed something new. Um, it was a lot, so much stuff that was going on. Um, the year that 2008, I fractured my hip. I, mm-hmm. I dislocated my hip and fractured my hip the very first game against North Carolina. And uh, they told me I had a, a hip flexor strain. Like, bro, I don't have a hip flexor strain. Something's wrong. So I ended up going to get a second and a third opinion by some hip specialist. And they told me, like, look, you fractured your hip. It just popped back in. So, like, it was a lot of distrust in, in, in the organization with the training staff and also just with the higher up. And I just felt like, for me, it was time for me to go. Um, I had told my agent I was ready to go. Not only that, but you got to think during that time, like 2008, I had trade rumors in 2008. Um, I had trade rumors, um, week eight, week seven, week, week six, seven and eight going into 2009. So for me, it was just like, all right, I'm cool. So after the season, um, we had an ex and me and I asked them for a trade and it's like, bro, we're not going to trade you unless we get something good out of it. I was like, cool. Well, y'all do let me know because I'm ready to go. Like my whole my I never 2009 all season I think I went to one practice. I didn't practice during mini camp, no nothing. I was there, but I never practiced because I just showed up because I didn't want that fine during that, uh, the mini camps. So it was it was time for me to go. I was unhappy. I was just like, man, this, I got to get out of here. Like I, I just didn't want to be there. So like when I found out I was traded, I was kind of pissed. Because I was actually on a flight when I got traded. I was coming back from uh, Atlanta, back out to back out to LA, and my agent called me like, "Hey, you been traded?" I was like, "Okay, where well, I been traded to?" He's like, "Man, I've been trying to call you for the last three hours." I said, "Man, well, I'm on a flight." <laughs> he was like, "Man, it was either it was either Dallas or New York," and I was like, "Where I'm going?" He's like, "Man, you going to New York?" I was like, "Man, shit, I wanted to go to Dallas." It's like you can hold on. It's like crawling the deadline. I had to get it in. I was like, man, all right, cool. We going. We got Rex Ryan. So, oh, so your agent was calling you to kind of get your opinion about Dallas or the Jets. Dallas or the Jets, man. But and you, I, and I was you didn't answer the phone, so he picked the Jets. Yeah. yeah, I was on. I was on a flight, so he picked the Jets because he felt that was a better a better situation. Yeah. Um. Wow. Yeah, just, so you, you could have been a cowboy. Could have been a cowboy. Because I was that year. You got to think. Wade Phillips was there. Yeah. So Wade Phillips was my, was my coach my rookie year. Mm-hmm. So with him having that and having that background with me, it was that would have been easy for me. But honestly, Jets, the Jets, I knew something was going to happen with the Jets. <laughs> be honest with you, when we played them in the playoffs, I simply told Rex, "Hey, I'm be I'm gonna be a Jet next year." That's exact, my exact words when I saw him. I said, "I'm probably gonna be a Jet next year." He's like, "Well, shit, bring your ass on." <laughs> I'm trying to get the hell up out of here. I told I told Coach Wade that too in the playoffs. I'm saying uh, in the preseason because we played the Cowboys in San Diego every single year during the preseason. That's not a year that we didn't we didn't play them. 
So it was like either there or, or there. I was trying to get the hell up out of there. I don't want to even lie to you. I just was unhappy, man. Then not only that, but the defense, Coach uh, Rivera had changed the whole entire defense to a cover two defense. It's like, man, I don't, I don't play cover two. Yeah. Like that's not that's not something I like to play. I'm not gonna sit back in the zone and just watch and and, and react. Nah, that's I want to get up in the face and go jam. So, like he took over 2008 and ran the same defense as Ted Control because that's what everybody ran. Once he got the full rounds of the head of the DC job, it was all cover two, okay. cover two, cover four, and I and that was something I I didn't want to be a part of. So how was it when you finally got to New York, teaming up with Darrell? Uh, how did you guys work together and push each other? Man. Honestly, with Darrell, it was, dude, the way that dude practiced, it was, it was something I, I, I didn't see. I, I haven't seen from a teammate. Like, you know, you come, you see Jammer, Jammer practice, but the way Reed practiced, man, it was, it was different, dog. It was like, bro, you finna, you in a, you in a street alley fight, one on ones, seven on seven with him every single play. And you don't see that. Like, so, so it's like, okay, if he gonna play, if he gonna practice like this, I gotta step my game up because I can't be sitting over here lagging and, and, and think just because I'm athletic than everybody else, I can do what I want to do. So right. honestly, during that time is when I actually learned how to play DB. Like my time in New York, I actually learned how to play DB because I was so used to having Sean Mamron, Sean Phillips, Jamal Williams, uh, Igor Oshansky, um, Cooper and all those guys with the, with the pass rush in San Diego, it was easy. Man, I can sit back at seven, eight yards and just, all right, cool. Quarterback can be giving the ball in two seconds, so I ain't got to move. And when I got to New York, boy, I had to learn how to play corner for real. I'm talking about just sit back, get learn how to get back into my back pedal and everything. So during that time, I had to really learn how Rick Schwann wanted me to play and how Coach uh, Dennis Thurman had wanted me to play during that time. You know, speaking of Revis, uh, last year, I think you guys had a back and forth on social media. Mm-hmm. Um, I know he had some things to say about Richard Sherman and you kind of, you know, spoke out kind of on Richard Sherman's behalf, but can you explain that little back and forth you and Revis had? Imagine like little brother, big brother talk. I mean, it mm-hmm. was just a point of, he got to understand, like, you can't sit here and try to trash a man that's having a better year nine than what you had in year nine. You know what I'm saying? Like, you can't sit there and talk about another man. Like, we've been to that point. Like, Bro, we too grown for that. Like, we get it. Like, he called himself the best quarter dude. Like, hey, he's been consistent in in this defense. You can't sit here and ask a man to to follow somebody when he, that's not what they're asking him to do. You know what I'm saying? Like, if they're not asking you to follow, why why go out and go try to compete with somebody that don't follow? Like, we know what you did, Reed. 2009, nobody can ever take that away from you. Uh, yeah, 2009, the year that he had in 2009. Right, nobody will ever take that. It's one of the best years a cornerback can ever have in NFL history. We're not taking that away from you, but don't knock another man for what he do. And that took me for me to just grow up because I was a person in Richard Sherman. I think it was 2012, the year Revis towards ACL, saying the same thing. Like, man, this dude don't follow nobody. But like me being retired and watching this man play, you can't knock that man for what he's doing. The man's playing. He was playing on a high level. He he not he not asked to follow nobody. He take care of his side and do what he's supposed to do. So that was the that was the exchange between me and Revis. And I think one of the things he said was, uh, man, ain't nobody ain't say nothing when uh coach uh Rex Ryan and DT cuts him and said we gotta put the cover on on uh we gotta put the safety on Crow side. I said, but I had to go back and go watch film for a minute for for a second, <laughs> but I was like, hold up, what? 
man, if you watch film, man, it's the safety over his side. I ain't, I'm covering number two. I ain't never have a safety over the top of me unless it was covered too. And see, I'm the kind of person, I ain't want to call him out because I could have called him out easily. And I, I'm like, man, all right, I'm going to let you have your little joy, but I ain't going to call you. I ain't going to say what I really want to say about you because we all know who you really are. What you really want to say about like him, bro? That. Huh? I said, what you really want to say about him? You ain't, you ain't finna, you ain't finna bait me. <laughs> you ain't finna bait me. It was just a point like, bro, you could have got my number from anybody else. Yeah. You know what I'm like, if you wanted to say something to me, don't say it on social media. Cause I'm, if I would have said what I really wanted to say, bro, you would have got pissed off and been ready to fight. And you know, I'm about that life. So I ain't, I wasn't worried about that. Yeah. But it was just a point of just understanding like, bro, like you can't knock somebody for what they're doing. Like, be happy that the man is actually holding up on a position that's already hard to play as it is and be consistent as he is year in and year out. Don't knock the man. Congratulate the man. Like, leave whatever y'all beef y'all have. Like, bro, that was 2012. <laughs> leave it alone, bro. That's almost eight years ago. You know, them boys, yeah, them boys been beefing for quite some time. It seemed like years. that. Yeah. You beefing for eight years? Come on, <laughs> man. Bro, you too old for that. The next question. Next question, is there more beef or more brotherhood in the cornerbacks in today's game? Mm. More brotherhood. I would say more brotherhood because, yeah. man, you got to think, man. You got everybody talking about, oh, I'm the best. It's, you don't hear that no more, really. Yeah. Honestly, I don't hear – I mean, you hear from commentators and stuff, but I don't – like, for me, I think people know at the end of the day, like, hey, everybody got to do their job the way they got to do it. Like, it ain't no – to me – if you're doing your job the right way consistently, then you may be considered as one of the best at this point in time. But every single year, we got to think, every single year, they're saying somebody is the best differently every single year. So how can you really call yourself the best if they're saying there's, there's another great cornerback on, on this play, I mean, say, and in, in, in on this team, and they calling him the best in the league, but you also calling yourself the best in the league. So yeah. it's like every year we got somebody new. You know, like I always tell people all the time, it's the people that do it consistent for me. Like, you got to do it consistently. I, you can't do it a one year and two year and then you want to call yourself the best. I need you to have four, five years, six years going into it. Like, you can't say and call yourself the best if you can't do it consistently. You can't be inconsistent. You got to have consistent years of doing what you're doing year in and year out and you get the respect from your peers year in and year out. No question. Last question regarding the Jets. We're going to move on. What's going on with the Jets currently right now? I see you've been extremely vocal. You still got a lot of love for the Jets. Adam Gase, uh, you know, garbage. he's still, what'd, what'd you say? Hot garbage. <laughs> well, <laughs> we, we all believe he won't be the head coach for the Jets in don't 2021. Well, well, he shouldn't. Well, you, you know what, Crow, you're right because don't be surprised. you don't see too many individuals that have a for real job fail at that one job, the, 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 the previous job, and get promoted. And he basically failed at the Dolphin job and got promoted uh, with the Jets, to say the least. Mm-hmm. But what do you think the Jets need to have? What type of person the Jets need to have as a head coach going forward if they like to move on from Adam Gates? You got to move on from Adam Gates. I think you got to just bring somebody in, one that's true offensive-minded. I think Adam Gates get, gets the knock because he's so-called yeah, coach. We all know he really did not coach Peyton Manning. And I think that the year that he had in Chicago with um, 
Jay Cutler. I think yeah. that's what, 2014, 15, something like that. Uh, some, some year with, he had the year he had with Jay Cutler, where Jay Cutler had a great year. Jay Cutler always had a, a bad year and then turn around and have a great year. That's nothing new. Jay, that was how Jay Cutler was. That's what how, that's how his system, that's how he worked. But my thing was, like, I feel you need somebody that's one, if you're going to draft the quarterback as in, as in, uh, Trevor, like you got to understand, or you're going to keep Sam down. You need somebody that can actually coach this dude. Don't bring in your, your friends, your quarterback coach friend that don't know anything about quarterbacks and expect for this dude to excel in your offense. Like you're not going to excel like that way. I think you got to bring in, if you're going to bring in an offensive mind coach, bring him, bring him in, let him, let him show him the success that he's had consistently in the NFL as an offensive coordinator. And 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 put them in that way. Like I honestly felt like uh, if you was gonna hire your OC, you should have tried to steal Nerve Turner away from everybody. Pay Nerve Turner what he want, and that's what he's done. I mean, he's done it with Alex uh, Alex Smith. He's done it with Philip Rivers. He's done it with man, you can name any. Troy, I mean, say uh, what's that? Troy Aikman, all them boys. He's been done it consistently as the offensive coordinator. He's not a great head coach, but he's one hell of a quarterback coach and an offensive coordinator. Why we're not why we're not going after these people? Not only that, but you had a chance to hire Mike McCarthy last year. I don't know what he would have did defensively, who else he would have hired. But with young quarterbacks and having somebody like Aaron Rodgers and Sam Donald has can make every single throw in the NFL. Why you don't hire a guy like that that has success with like a guy like Aaron Rodgers? Sam Donald's ain't nothing but a gunslinger anyway, but he can run the ball. He can do whatever he wants to. You can run RPO and do everything with him too. So my best bet, if you got a guy like that and you're going to go get Trevor Lawrence or somebody, man, they better bring in Eric the enemy or they better go get Josh Daniels. Well, they, they look like they're going to have the number one pick. So they got, they, listen, if I saw what I saw two weeks ago with Greg Williams and cover zero and that corner out there, <laughs> they was out there. But they was out there. Listen, they threw the game. <laughs> they, they got extra money on the side. Literally. <laughs> I ain't jumping no double move and cover zero. Be back. We'll talk about that. I said, I would have called time out. Coach, you tripping. <laughs> <laughs> Matter of fact, I'm going to back up to the goal line because I know where you're going. It's only 14 seconds left. You go run deep. Yeah. And, you, and they had a guy out there running 4 2, a legit 4 2. A legit 4 2. Legit. And I ain't running with him. I'm calling time out. <laughs> no question. Put me in two men with a help over the top. Yes, right. sir. Especially in that situation. Hey, uh, so Kurt, when you, uh, when you kneel and raise your fist during the national anthem, um, with the coach in 2016, um, I know you've been very vocal about, um, raising awareness and being behind Colin Kaepernick and his whole, uh, fight. What were you looking to get out of that when you, uh, when, when, when you did kneel and, um, took uh, Hon- your fist? Honestly, it was just bringing awareness, man. Um, for me, it was just, I got six sons, man, and eight daughters, man. Black, you know what I'm saying? There ain't no, it's just, like, when you look at that situation, man, you ain't thinking about nothing like that, man. Like, I grew up in the hood. I know what it's like to be held at gunpoint, have a gun in your face by a police officer, and you ain't did nothing. But get pulled over they, when they want to say you got a broken tail, like, when your tail light ain't even broken. So I understand that. I understand, I understand like you get, we got to give, uh, the people the voice that don't have a voice. 
and we have a move in a certain way, like people have to understand the NFL is 70, 73% black. Could you imagine all 73% selling the NFL? They're not going to play because they're not, they're not being, they're not taking awareness of what we take serious with our neighborhoods, with our, with our community. You would rather say we are entertainment rather than saying, look, what can we do to help? You know, and now I feel like it's, it's a game to, to, to the NFL. It's a, it's right now, I, I truly feel what they're doing is more political, is more, uh, for their own, for their own doing, for their, for, you know, t- to make them make more money, to make them more profitable in that way, the way they're doing it now. Cause you got to think right now, taking the knee is the most coolest thing now, but it's the most hated thing four years ago. So why is it so cool now? And it wasn't so cool back then. What's the difference in four years that now change your mind when you didn't want to listen to anything, any other thing the players were saying? You know, and that's what I mean. Like, we got to understand, like, what we stand for as a black community and what we got to look forward to because people can play this game with you and they'll look at it as, oh, you know, we really there for you. But realistically, man, it's, it's capitalism. They capitalize off all this stuff. And that's, and that's how I feel what's going on with the NFL and what they're doing now, uh, with, with everything that's going on. Crow, do you believe your career ended instantly because you decided to kneel when you were with the coach? 100%. I'll, I'll say that's 75% of the other, other 25%. I'll probably say because of my age, man. Mm-hmm. I just, I just been real. I was what, 30, 33 years old. That and man, I, y'all know me, man. I'm, 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 I'm outspoken. So I'm not going to hold my tongue for anybody. If I feel like you're wrong, I'm going to call you out. That's just always been me. And you got a guy like that in your locker room that can influence younger guys. They're not going to bring you in because they're going to be like, okay, well, shoot, we got to cut the head. We got to cut the head of the snake off before we even get this thing started mm-hmm. because of the influence that he brings into the locker room. You bring in too much influence, man, and it pulls people a certain way, and it's not to the likes of everybody else. That's the way they get rid of you. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Crow, we're gonna jump into um, a little softer side of our, our interview. <laughs> we're gonna jump into our superlatives. We're gonna ask you some rapid fire questions. You just give us your best answer back. Mac, you want to take the first one? All right, first one, Crow. Kenny Moore from the Colts had a outstanding one hand interception against the Las Vegas Raiders. Uh, that I want to talk about that uh, Peyton Manning one-handed interception you had against the Colts uh, Sunday night football. You had three, matter of fact, that ball game, if I'm not mistaken, right in 2007. You had yeah. three. But that one-handed interception, would you say would you, would you say that's the best interception you ever made in your life? No. Well, so that's not the best interception you, you've ever made. You got one better than that? Yeah, in practice in Arizona. What, Pat, you remember that one in practice? I'm trying to, uh, that was against Ted, Ted Ginn in the end zone. Ted Ginn in the end zone. Was that in the corner? Yeah. And did you, did you catch it like, kind of like this and like, yeah. Feet in? Yeah, yep. yeah, yeah, I remember that one. Yeah, that was cool. That was cool. That was better than, better than the one against yeah, the, my, uh, most of my, my best piss, my best piss being in practice. Yeah, cause he had to get his feet down in the corner of the end zone. And the way he caught it, yeah, it, it, it was it was it was stupid. Man, I wish we could get some footage of that. Yeah, I I, I know exactly what he's talking about now. <laughs> Man, listen, that Kenny Moore pick because you got to think realistically, he was beat. 
Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it was that seven cut behind him. I taught them about five, eight. <laughs> yeah, and you see how how high he elevated off the ground because he yeah, he caught this. He caught it like this. Man, he caught that thing like sitting out here, yeah. like this right here. I'm like, man, yeah, that, was, that pick. Man, listen, that pick was sick. Pat, what's what's the best interception you you've had? Pat, I always trying to catch one handed uh, picks. Yeah, yeah, that's all. I, that's what I. Hey, that's how you get on Sports Center. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, my best one-hand pick was in practice too, man. It was my rookie year, actually, and uh, it was in front of my uh, my general manager, Rod Graves, at the time, and we was running like a trap coverage. Uh, I believe it was like called clamp or something like that. And the outside, what clamp is, it's kind of like a you read in two. If two don't come out, you pretty much oh. trail man underneath oh. or whatever. So my guy ran a dig, and uh, they ran a dagger. So two ran the seam. My guy ran a dig. I'm sitting at five yards, funneling them inside. So now I trailed up underneath them. Now I'm breaking it. And as soon as I look back, the ball was coming and I kind of caught the pit like, uh, uh, Kenny Moore and it just, it just stuck to my hand. And when I caught it and started running back to the end zone, the Rod Gray just dropped his clipboard and walked in the building. <laughs> <laughs> hey man, I remember coach Wilkes, man. He used to get upset with me because I, I used to catch one hand, uh, picks in practice. He's like, man, we don't practice that. Catch the ball on purpose. He was listen. Yeah. Listen, Wilkes used to do the same thing with me in 2000. <laughs> I almost fought Wilkes, man. I'm like, man, I'm catching the ball. Uh, <laughs> Did I remember one time he got pissed at me and told me don't do it? So he made he made like this big scene in, in, in team in team meetings, like, yeah, we don't practice this, da 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 da. Soon as we go back out to practice, the first pick I catch with one hand. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, Wilkes used to get on. Wilkes, Wilkes was my was my coach in two thousand nine. Uh, the DB coach for the Chargers, man. He he used to get on me about the same thing. I'm like, yes. bro, how many, I I used to ask him, how many picks do you got in the NFL? <laughs> hey, my coach, hey, Crow, you know you be disrespectful to them coaches, man. Yeah, you do, man. So, Crow, what's the best secondary you ever played on, pro or college? The secondary I played on, I'll probably say it got to be Arizona, just from. What we had in the secondary from Tyron to you to, um, to Rashard, Rashard to, yeah. you know, to, to JP, uh, to yeah. Bethel, to Tony, Tony Jefferson, uh, to, to Buck, all of us. I mean, you got that was a young secondary man. And, yeah. and you look at everybody now and what we've done in the end of what y'all doing now, right? It was sick. I, I just forgot, wear, I forgot all them names in that secondary. I thought you might have <laughs> said the Jets. Man, no, nah, he was too. Listen, I'm not no. My best second there was Arizona. That one year, yeah. bro, I ain't never. Hey, we had a good time too, dog. Listen, <laughs> I ain't never been around a secondary like this, bro. Like, I mean, you got to think. I was the oldest one in the. I was the oldest one. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Me, everybody else is basically five years and under. Yeah, You're right. So it's like, okay, man, he, man, these young dudes out here killing it. He got time out here just doing what he want to do, man. And then you you had, you had Tony Jeff and man the smartest dude hands down Rashad dude Rashad Johnson I already know you yeah. Rashad Rashad got to be the only say they can wear forty nine Rashad used to get me right hey bro hey, here it come man all right cool yeah. but it's just, man like I've never seen somebody that can recognize a play as quickly as he does yeah he was I doing that at Alabama in position, too uh, that pick six you had I forgot who was playing he was like Crow. I'll never forget, we was, uh, he was like, Crow, they come out in this set. I want you to sit. 
Yeah. And Crow ain't back up one bit. Caught that thing. Neck, that, that boy took that thing to the house. He showed it high so everybody know he got it. <laughs> Listen, <laughs> man. <laughs> it was just, it, it's just crazy how you can be around certain guys that, man, you're like, okay, this, this dude football IQ is, is stupid. I was a person that studied film so much, but I can tell you exactly what's going to happen. But like, you got it from somebody else that's on the back end. Mm-hmm. Yeah, makes your job that much easier. Makes it a whole lot easier. And that's and that's what he did, man. I was I was so pissed that we that we let him walk because he was. Man, uh, listen, I knew I was. I, that, that didn't listen, I knew I was gone when they came in the offense. Like, hey, Crow, thanks for having you. You know, you had a heck of a year. That was it. That was the end of my conversation. <laughs> it wasn't no, it wasn't no, hey, you know, we want to try to bring you back. It wasn't none of that. It was, hey, Crow, thank you for your services. We'll holler at you. Because hey, you, you had three picks that year, right? Or four? Four. Yeah. Oh, I'm sorry. Six. Was it three? I had two, what, two to, I had three. Yeah, I, knew you. I had three. I had okay. two, I had two to fill a game. Yeah. And I forgot what other game. I had one in the preseason. That's why you probably saying four. And then I had the farmer cook okay. for a touchdown. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yep, yep, yep. You had three one against Dallas too. That's the one I should have. That's the oh, one I should have yeah. scored on. Yep, yep. Hey, that's, that's the, the same game. I should have scored that block field goal too. <laughs> oh, we ain't gonna talk about that. <laughs> man, I was fat. Man, I was fat at the time. <laughs> <laughs> hey, Crow. So. Wide receiver you love to match up with before your time. So before you got into the National Football League, a wide receiver you would have loved to go against? Jerry Rice. Uh-huh. Same here. I mean, I, I think that's every corner's, like, dream matchup, though. Yeah. Going up against Jerry, seeing everything that he's done. I think, honestly, Jerry, you know, watching those older uh films, I think – he was the only one that was running routes like that. I believe like he runs routes how today receivers run routes now. Oh, one hundred percent. Pivots, the uh the different angle routes they try to take on that back pylon. I didn't even know they used to do that back in uh, you know, that that uh that fake fade come down to the pylon. Yeah. Mm-hmm. All the time with Jerry. And now you seeing that come into the day's game. So I definitely would have I'm sure Mac is the same way. I definitely would have loved to uh match up against him. Probably the best Maybe technician to ever play the wide receiver. Back. Yeah. Favorite quarterback you had an opportunity to pick up? Brett Favre. Mm. Brett Favre. What route yeah. was it? Uh, pivot route by Lavernius Coles when he was with the uh, Jets. Oh, you picked up Brett when he was with the Jets. Yeah, I jumped. Yeah. I jumped. I jumped over Lavernius Coles and, and took it to the crib. That's when I waved to uh, Leon Washington. I was like this. <laughs> <laughs> we, we got. We got to get that highlight. We got. We got to another, another Florida State. Another Florida yeah. State similar. Both of them Florida State. Cole's in. in uh, oh, yeah. Chat. Yeah, Lavernus is a uh, yeah. Florida State guy. Old trouble. Yeah. Why receiver that talked the most trash to you that you really didn't like? Talked a lot of trash. Chad. Yeah, he talked a lot of trash. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Chad. Yeah. Chad, John. Chad was, hey, Chad was the worst, man. But he made it fun, though, man. He talked yeah. a lot of trash, but, boy, he made it fun. No doubt. Who's your favorite coach that you played for in the pros? Mm. I'll say I'll say Rex. Rex looked like he was a player's coach. Hey man, Rex was, dude. Rex was just like man, y'all, y'all go play ball. That's it. Go hey. go do what you go do, and we we won't have no problems. That's it. Hey. 
Yeah. Hey, Crow, tell me if, if this if this story is true. They said Rex, somebody I can't remember who it was, had a somebody had a bad practice or whatever, and he came into the team meet the next day with a dildo or something like that. Oh man, no! <laughs> <laughs> All right, so let me, I wasn't there. So this okay. is this is two thousand nine, and somebody, I think somebody did have a bad game. And from my understanding, Carrie Rose like, oh, look at the girth on that thing. I said, what? Oh, <laughs> oh man. So did, so did he that actually was a true story. That's a true story. Up. That's a true story. I mean, walked in with the dildo. I'm going to get to somebody, though. Whoa, whoa, whoa. So Rex walked in with the dildo? That's, that's what I heard. Because that was that was Rex's first yeah, year. And, and what was one. said about the deal, though? Somebody said, well, see, I already said his name, Carol. Yeah, <laughs> man, look at the earth on that thing. Wow. Man. Yeah, right. that's like I said when I heard the story. I was like, <laughs> oh, okay. top five corners ever. Yeah, I want to hear this top. Let me hear this list. Top five corners ever to play in the National Football League. Uh, you know you, you know you watch some ball. You're a student of the game. Yeah. Okay, that's one. Mel Blunt, two. Mm. Lester Hayes, three. Oh, yeah. Mike Haynes, four. Charles Wilson. Oh, that's a mean five. That's a good list. That's a great list. <laughs> Pat, who who would be your top five, Pat? Uh, all honestly, all of those names and my and my fifth. Man, it's tough, but I mean, me, I was a I was a Champ Bailey guy. I just mm. love Champ Bailey the way he way he was able to play because to me, Champ Bailey he was just just like Charles Woodson, but I think Champ was a little bit more athletic. But um, just the way he was able to play press and off, I thought Champ was a very very well rounded corner that had speed, athleticism, football IQ, mm-hmm. and just had that that fast twitch muscle. You know what I mean? Just he would just just look so smooth and clean all. The time, so um, yeah. my 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 five would be between Champ and um and Charles for sure. I think Champ probably had arguably the best corner, best DB career. The length, yeah. you know, playing yeah. corner and then transitioning into safety and just still being able to play that at a high a level. That Champ gave up what it was crazy, like twenty catches or something like that. Champ, Champ is putting some work, bro. It was some crazy, and he had like six picks or something like that. Yeah, it Champ was, was so the first stupid. one to see a sixty million dollar deal. I think he signed like a six year yeah. deal for like sixty three back in the day. Yeah, Nate came behind with the eighty. Uh-huh. Yeah, Nate came after Champ though with San <laughs> yeah, Fran yeah, when they took him yeah, from yeah. Buffalo. Yeah, yes, when uh, Nate came with that weird, that crazy number, we were like, man, what the freak's going on? <laughs> man, back yeah, in the day, got, then them numbers got reset real quick, real quick. Yeah. My t- my top they, five would be. I throw Prime in there, number one. Freaking Rob Woodson. Mm. Two. Third. I'm a Night Train Lane fan. So I go Night Train Lane with the Lions. What at 81. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Fourth. Why? I want to miss somebody. I know they're going to attack me if I miss somebody. Who I'm talking about? I got Rod. I got Prime, Night Train Lane. I probably go, I probably go champ and, and too, man. I forgot about Dale Green. 
I'm <sighs> cold too, yo. <laughs> Man, that's a tough one. I'd probably say Champ as as, as C Wood. Also, I'm a C Wood fan, so I'm gonna be biased. You know what I mean? That's why I almost went to Michigan because of Charles Woodson. So yeah, yeah. Yeah, almost. That's why I almost ended up in Ann Arbor. But ain't no wrong list in the top five, especially yeah. if you start with Prime. So, it it, it it that's how you, that's what you got to start with. That's yeah. that's what you got to start with. Crow, before we let you go, man, we know you got a lot going on right now, currently in life. We know you're watching a lot of ball, but feel the listeners and viewers in are currently about what you got going on and what are your your long term goals being done with the game. Man, right now, what I got going on, be honest with y'all, man, I'm trying to get a head coaching job at UNLL. Yeah. Oh. I'm just like, look, I mean, I mean, the opportunity is there, man. I mean, you got to think. It's all about, like I said, I try to tell people, man, it's all about capitalism at the end of the day. And mm-hmm. right now, a lot of these schools are trying to, um, one, they're trying to add in a minority coach as much as possible because they're not getting the opportunity in college football or NFL. So you're going to see a lot more. Black coaches get a lot more uh, head coaching jobs, defense coordinator jobs, offense coordinator jobs, just because of what's going on in this world. So it's like, why not? You know what I'm saying? Like the way everything has been going so far in this year, uh, you, you ain't got nothing to lose. So why not go after a head coaching job or a defensive coordinator job? You know, and that's just how I feel. I feel like UNLM would be a perfect spot for me just for the simple fact Um one, my name is still relevant in the football world. I can go out and go recruit. I can hire the staff that I want to throughout the whole entire thing. And it'll just give me uh, a better opportunity at a starting point of understanding exactly uh, how to go about the business. So for me, that's what that's where I'm looking to uh, put my name in. And I've actually already been in contact with him uh, to try to get the head coaching job there. Wow. But that's breaking right there. All things covered. Appreciate the inf- the information, Coach Cromarty. That's what they, they gonna call you, Coach Crow or Coach Cromarty? What, what, what Coach Crow, now you know Coach Crow. Coach Crow. Coach Crow. <laughs> <laughs> well, hey Crow, man, we appreciate you joining us here on All Things Covered, man. Outstanding episode, man, and good luck with that coaching career. Uh, whenever you get ready to break the news, man, make sure you let us know so we can all support you. I got you, one hundred percent, man. Appreciate it. Thanks again to our boy Antonio Camardi and thanks to everyone for listening to this episode of All Things Covered. If you like what you hear, make sure you subscribe and leave a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts. We'll be back with you next Tuesday where you can expect all things will be covered. Peace. Peace. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones so we'll never lose touch with civilization and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic? And conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.